imagine that going alcohol-free just got easier, fun filled with tactics, tools, and science-based facts. Well, it has, and it's here with us on Sober Chicks Life. Welcome. Okay, hello, Zoe. How are you today? You know what? I am on fighting form. <gasps> this yeah. is going to be a good one. It is. I love this topic. Zoe is on fire and she is ready to go. We are talking about moderation today. And to me, moderation is something like going through adolescence. Everybody's got to go through it. And there is the, the questioning whether or not you would like to moderate or whether or not you would like to go alcohol free. This These early stages, there's just a lot of questioning going on. And we're going to come at you today with some answers, some neuroscience, and also our experience. There is, as always, zero, none, not a goose egg, zippo, no judgment about zero. what you decide to do. Zero. Nada. Nada. None. And this is to give you the information for your exploration. And you may want to explore, or maybe you've already explored and you are ready to make a decision. So Zoe, yeah, start us off. Yes. Well, look, I, the, the reason why I really want to talk about this topic is because recently I, well, actually not recently, a while ago, I thought, I think I can moderate now. I think I'm moderate. I can, you know, I've been, I've been alcohol free for a while and it was before I knew what I know now, but I've been alcohol free for a while. I think I can moderate, but actually it's, it's something so much more than what I thought it was because it is about chemicals. It's not about willpower or, or, or decision-making. It's a chemical war, neurochemical war going on inside you. The minute you sip your drink. Hell, the, the, the minute you've decided you're going to reach for the glass in your cupboard, you're already starting to kickstart the chemicals pouring into your brain, preparing for the wine to come and the, and the, the disruption of our homeostasis. The body prepares, pre-prepares for the disruption by already preparing, pouring chemicals into our system before you've even had a drip, a drop of alcohol across your lips. How insane is that? That is insane. And this goes back to why we say over and over and over, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Yes. We can teach you how your body works. It's up to you to decide how you want to work with this knowledge, how yeah. you want to work with your body. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, there are some people that you see around you and they're doing it and you're like, and we're going to come back to this again later, but they're willing to put in that work. Okay. They are going to put up these guardrails. They're going to have non-negotiables. They're going to, they're going to say, look, I am not going to be, I'm not going to drink tonight. Or that That's a lot of work, right? Because you've got those, that preparation already happening. And the worst thing is, is that if you're moderating, you think that the one glass is okay. That glass, that's, substance is entering your body so it doesn't matter how much you're drinking you are triggering the same neurochemical reaction inside your body oh okay i just want to make sure because this to me is a mic drop moment yes because i too dreamed of moderation for myself one day 
Yeah. <laughs> now I'm like, I don't know why I would even want to drink. I actually, I know I don't even want to drink. So I don't even want moderation, but dig into that for a second, yeah. Zoe. Yeah. So, so what happens is that we think that moderation is all about the quantity. Yeah. Yes. It's not about the quantity. You can have a sip of a glass of wine and you will get all of those chemicals tumbling into your system like you drank the whole thing. So it sets off the, the desire of your brain for more dopamine. You then have the depressants that are poured in to, to balance out this hysteria that we've already hit, that we've hit, this euphoria. Then the body says, shit, we're depressed. Oh, let's pour in some stimulants to come up again, adrenaline, cortisol. And, you, and then before you know it, you're feeling uncomfortable and then you're, you want another drink. Right, right. The alcohol created the problem you're trying to solve. Yeah. How insane is that? It's insane. So lots of people, there was somebody today who contacted me. I said last, um, last night, I said to him, um, look, he was saying, I want to drink, I want to drink. I said, drink, it's fine. Yeah, he was in the pause before we, we were going to stop drinking. I said, this is a moment where we're learning about your relationship with alcohol. So sit with it and ask yourself some questions. And he said, yeah, but I'm a binge drinker. I said, you know, just this process of asking yourself some questions before you drink. How do you feel after the drink? How long can you wait before you have? So bloody boring. Anyway, he wrote to me today and he said, oh my God. He said, I never felt as good as when I, before I had the drink in the first place. Oh, right. That moment that we've set off the first dopamine hit. Yeah. Because we reach for the glass and that's when we get our first dopamine hit yeah and that feels great it's also like if you'll notice if you're out with your mates at a bar or a pub if yeah. you're where zoe lives you'll notice that you're very agitated before your weight person comes and takes your order yeah but the relaxation you get the minute that order is in, that's because you've got your first dopamine hit. Yeah. And people look for, so they go and they say, I feel, I want to feel relaxed. And when they actually start to dig into it, they realize that before the drink, they were all, they, they were more relaxed before the drink than actually from then on. Yeah. They could never get back to that same Oh, you know, when you sit back at the I, end of the day, you think that it's the re alcohol, but actually it's because you have got to the end of your day and you are now in the process of giving yourself time to relax. It's nothing to do with the drink. Anyway, right. I digress. So we have people who can do it with mental stamina. I don't want this anymore. They decide, make a decision. This is how it's going to go. You know, this is, they are people who are very able to, uh, are very disciplined. And they're able to say, this is it. And I'm not going to have one more. But at the end of the day, maybe means yes, doesn't it? Right. And what I find is my personal experience and what I find with my clients is that we think there's a lot more of these people out there than there really are. Yeah. And chances are they were not as far along in the alcohol use disorder spectrum. Mm -hmm. As certainly I was. Mm -hmm. 
But for those of us who are daily drinkers that were using alcohol to solve a problem, yeah. we look at other people moderating and we think, oh, so-and-so is, it maybe even in the program, so-and-so looks like they're moderating. Well, sometimes it can take a few months for this moderation cycle to play out. Yeah. It, I could moderate for maybe three months or six months, but at some point I cycled back to daily drinking and it was yeah. a slippery slope. Sometimes it happened automatically. It was like I had that first drink and then I was, you know, the next day I was drinking the bottle of wine every day. And other times it was a six month process yeah. of sliding down that slope. But there I was again. And to be perfectly clear, we don't know what other people are doing when they're alone. No, exactly. Exactly. And besides, we don't need to, do we? <laughs> no, it's none of our business. But the reason I say that is because we may think they're moderating. I can't tell you how many clients I have who say, nobody thinks I have a problem because yes. I drink one drink at the party and then I come home and I drink the bottle of wine or the pint of rum or the pint of vodka. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows. Yeah. Yeah. So many. And I was, I, I used to drink alone. I was, you know, I used to literally cancel things or, or say I couldn't do or, or put, or pretend I had other excuses just because I wanted to be alone. To so drink. no one was there to judge me so I could drink and I yeah. just didn't care. And that was part of it was yeah. the fact that there was no one there to remind me of, well, actually, we're kind of going against our ethical values here or well you know our morals here it's not it's not it's what working so the other so the other kind of there are there are a few points that let's dig into about why is it difficult to moderate but we are like we said we are not here to diss it or try it if you want to try it but this is just to, to open your eyes to what's going on okay when you try to moderate we're nearly always trying to make decisions and what happens when we're trying to make decisions the whole time lily we get decision fatigue. We yeah. run out of decision energy and our subconscious takes over. Yeah. And yeah. what happens when our subconscious takes over, Zoe? Glug, 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 glug. <laughs> <laughs> we head to that fridge. Bloop, bloop, okay, bloop, so bloop. then so second, the second point is it's um, artificially, alcohol artificially stimulates parts of our brain that are associated with pleasure. So we're going back to the neuroscience. So it's... Casimir, if you gave a whole group of people the same alcohol, everyone would eventually become addicted to it. That is just the nature of alcohol. It's the way it works. So we've got that system of, like we were talking before, I'll go over it again, where you have the alcohol hit, the dopamine hit, that's too high for our own good. The depressants, the dynorphin is thrown in. That's too depressed. So we throw in the stimulants, which then make us uncomfortable which then make us want to make that go away. And we reach for a second drink and a third. So it's very difficult at that point, if your decision fatigue has kicked in, but you're moderating to say no, because you're fighting a chemical war. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're fighting your physiology. Absolutely. hundred percent. Also. So three alcohol impairs our ability to stick with our intentions, our decisions. It's, it's just a fact. It keep, keep brings us out of our front brain and it pushes us into our back brain where everything's a good idea. 
we can't make good decisions. It runs out. You know, you start off in the evening saying, oh, I'm going to have one. Yeah. Oh. oh, maybe I'll have, maybe I'll have, maybe doors open. Maybe I'll have another one. That's just what it does. It lowers our inhibitions. We don't have access to that prefrontal cortex, which is able to say to us, this isn't a good idea anymore. Let's go home. So it keeps drinking. How many times do we wake up in the morning and think, how did I think that was a good idea last night? Well, Zoe has just (laughs) explained to you how that happened. That's how you thought it was a good idea. It's just amazing. Yeah, because your good idea maker was turned (laughs) off. (laughs) Yeah, and when you say at two o'clock in the morning, this is a good idea, you know it's not, okay? Yeah, anything that you're saying at two o'clock in the morning is, yeah, that's not a good idea. Alcohol is a diuretic. So there you are thinking, oh, nice cold beer. I'm so thirsty. My husband used to say that the whole time. He'd glug his beer. And then he'd want three, four more beers because he was, he said, I'm just so thirsty. Right. Or a cool, crisp Chablis on a summer afternoon. Yeah. It's going to make you so thirsty. Yeah. (laughs) So when you get there, let's say you're moderating and you turn up and you're like, yeah, I'll just have the one cool beer on this beautiful sunny day. And that's fine. It's going to be, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. Then we have alcohol increases our cravings, not our pleasure, because what it does is it stimulates this dopamine hit. And dopamine is related to wanting, not what we thought it was, not liking, wanting. So I don't know if you've ever had this, Lily, but I had a point where I didn't enjoy drinking anymore, but I still drank. Yes. Yes. Even when I was on naltrexone and I wasn't getting buzzed, I still wanted to drink. Yeah. And this is another mic drop moment that we cannot stress enough. Dopamine is wanting, not enjoying. Wanting, not enjoying. You can get a dopamine hit that makes you want to do something you abhor. Like if you're people very much on the very high spectrum of alcohol use disorder, they don't want to be living on the streets drinking. They're not having fun. They, these people are not enjoying themselves. Yeah. But the dopamine is making them want to do it again and again and again. Yeah. And then what's it do? When, when you've got, when you're wanting, what's it give you? gives you cravings so it's not the more fun you want it's because you've got a craving you're creating a physical craving and then what happens we create a tolerance so we want more and more and more can you see my point and to go into for me if to go into moderation with this knowledge would be a pretty fascinating journey I think Right. And I and I want to step back and really focus again on the last point you made that Mm -hmm. because of tolerance We want more and more and more and see how that is fighting against your idea that you want to drink less. So you're putting something in your body that makes you thirsty, that makes you want to have more, that builds a tolerance. So to get that thing you are after, 
you have to take more of the alcohol to get there. Yeah. Can you start to see how you are fighting your nature? Yeah. Yeah. And then followed by the, my final point, which is that alcohol numbs our response to normal stimuli. So over time, you find less and less pleasure in what you used to, you know, in your relationships, in life in general. And what happens when we lose those, that, that connection with our stimuli and we feel numb? Well, you get sad. Oh, you get sad. It's sad. So then what do you do sad. when you're sad? You don't want to feel sad. No. What do we want to do? We want to plaster it over with a glass of Chablis. Because like we it. think we are only numbing the bad parts. Yeah. That's the, that is the error in thought there. Yeah. The truth is we're numbing all the parts. But you know what I mean? It's everyday activities where we just, we just, you don't realize it it's slowly things tone down and people start to say, well, when am I, how am I going to have fun? How am I going to reach that high? It's like, yeah, but, well, actually they, these things like taking your dog for a walk, a hug, um, you know, going out to the cinema, those are actually natural highs they give you. But our perception of a high has gone so through the roof that we have to then bring everything back to homeostasis from where we can have a normal dopamine hit again. That takes quite a long time. It does. And there is an uncomfortable period of time between not putting the alcohol in the system to get the dopamine hits and your body's ability to produce it on its own. Because yes. you, with the alcohol, you have literally hobbled your body's system to have joy happen naturally. You've turned it off. There's a switch. And that uncomfortable period, you have to put effort in to yeah. get through. Yeah, yeah. And I think that awareness is the key to making it um, more comfortable. Because you're aware, people all of a sudden, they say, like I said on a past thing, they'll say, I got into bed and I was just like over, overwhelmed by how amazing I felt in my pajamas under my sheets, nice and cozy. And where the hell did that come from? Right. That's your natural dopamine. So your, your, the highs that we're looking for are absolutely unnatural. Right. And if you look at kids, hopefully <laughs> are not drinking, young kids, how much joy do they have in every day becoming an adult does not take that joy away drinking no. alcohol oh. yeah takes that joy away yeah. and a lot of us started drinking in our teens or early adulthood and we have mistaken why that joy was turned off yeah. it wasn't because life got hard or that we had responsibilities it's because we physically turned it off with alcohol yeah yeah. And our reference to what's fun is linked to that insane amount of dopamine. So unless you hit that amount of dopamine, you don't think you're having fun. Right. You're right. searching for that ultra high, which then brings you the ultra low. Whereas and when you don't have that ultra high, ultra low, your body doesn't have to counter anything. It's happy. Yeah. Yeah. If you remember from previous lessons class, that high that we get only lasts about 17, 20, 30 minutes. That's all you're getting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we ask ourselves, why can some people 
around us look like they can just take it or leave it, yeah? And there's a really nice way, we do have an option, in an inbuilt option in each and every one of us to influence our decisions, yeah? We are thought-making machines. If we want to feel and act, remember we've gone through this before, a certain way, we think a certain way. But we're, look what we're up against, this dopamine hit, yeah? This level of dopamine hit. So there are some, some people have like, um, I call it like an inner in boundary um, kind of setup where they might have particular beliefs around alcohol, uh, past experiences. Let's say, for example, they've had a really bad experience with their parents, you know, drinking or something that's really put them off it. Um, or they've got themselves into a pattern. So they've managed to kind of work with their brains in that amazing tool that is creating pattern. Yeah, just a pattern of one beer. And, you know, maybe that works. There's also the boundary of, the, of faith. Yeah, there are lots, lots of faiths where there's no alcohol involved. There was kind of outer boundaries where people sometimes can't afford to drink. Yeah. So they said, well, I had a pudding, I had a dessert instead of a drink. There are outer boundaries where people just say, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going out tonight because I'm, I don't want to drink. See what I mean? So there, people can kind of negotiate their their moderation, their journey with moderation. But it is what it is. If you put, like I said, if you put men and women in a room with the same substance, if, if over time, everyone, everyone becomes addicted to it. Fact. Right. And so those people who at younger ages who are able to just have one, as they get older, because of tolerance, now they want two. And then as they get older further and their tolerance is built up now they want three and you can see where this is going yeah i remember and it just chapped my ass to hear eckhart (laughs) toll talking about even eckhart toll like this bastion of health and mental well-being talking about how sometimes he enjoys or often he enjoys a glass of wine with his meal. And then he did yeah. his Eckert giggle and said, well, maybe two. Oh. And I thought, oh my goodness. First of all, someone, someone needs to talk to Eckert about what's going on in his brain that he doesn't understand. And secondly, even Eckert Tolle is struggling to keep it to one. Yes. Yes. And what I find with my clients is they come to me often with the goal of moderation. And what I will say is, let's take a break and see how that feels. And then let's make a decision. Because if you are not able to take a break for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, you don't have the skills yet to even attempt moderation. So take your break and then decide if you really want it in your life. Because what you are doing in that break is figuring out if alcohol is really giving you what you thought it was. It's an experiential, once again, you're not laying in bed dreaming about what life is going to be like. You're living it, you're experiencing it, and then you can make decisions. I have yet to have a client 
learn the science, learn the health effects, experience, let's say a 90 day break and want to go back to alcohol. Yeah. One of the, um, the biggest, uh, well, it's proven now, science has proven that the biggest challenge to moderation is when it goes from being social, social drinking and all of a sudden, like you were saying at the beginning of the episode, you're into self-medication. Mm -hmm. I'm in pain. Hello, where have you been all my life? Right. Yeah? Enter the wine. Or I stress relief. All of a sudden, ah, oh, yeah, when you don't know what we know. Yeah, and that's it. That's all you need for the brain to make that connection and to go, yeah, you're my best friend. Let's dance off into the, into the sunset. Right. And that's it. Moderation screwed. Right. Yep. But like you say, I love the fact that absolutely try it. But, but I think Lily's point is brilliant. Get, prove to yourself, reset yourself. So reset your, all your, your systems and have that break of 90 days or more. If you can more, eat better, the longer, the better. Then decide whether you want to bring that um, substance back into your life. Yeah. When we talk about alcohol, but it can be, it can be, you know, other things as well. It's moderating anything that you find difficult to stop. Yes. And another reason why this 90 day or more break is so optimal is because you have learned how to take that break. Absolutely. And you so if you yeah. moderate and decide and you start heading down that slippery slope, you have a track record of getting back to alcohol freedom. You've got those skills in place. Whereas if you are trying to moderate without those skills in place, it is a shame creating machine. Yeah. It's yeah. very difficult. You've made your life so much harder. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the bottom line is, I think that from Lily and I both work in the same kind of mindset is any decision is absolutely yours. It's the power of choice is yours. But all we want is for you to have all the knowledge needed. And if you want after this call, you might want to go and Google, get some more information, dig into it, prepare your moderation. Yeah. Instead of just slowly dropping into it and hoping it's going to be okay. Um, and, and see how you go. Right. You get these apps out there that are uh, like the moderation coach, I, I think is why oh, yeah, I saw one of those today, actually. That it's not giving you all the facts. Nope. It is simply saying, well, you're, we're going to have you drink a little bit less each day, but it didn't do what we just did was explain to you what's going on in your bodies and your hormones and your thought processes. And we are. Yes. So before yes. you fall for one of those, yeah. learn the facts. Yeah. I hope that that helped you. We really do hope. We just thought it would be a good topic to just dig into because actually there is so, there's so much focus on stopping drinking and, and often people are like, well, well, maybe I want to moderate. Absolutely. Of course you're entitled to want to moderate. Absolutely. But this is what we've got to donate to your, give to your journey. Oh, thank you for that, Zoe. Thank you for doing all that research. See you soon. See you soon.
Don't forget to tell a friend about the show.